Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, thank you, Eddie. It certainly is. It is that time of the week where myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son, Mark Schwarzer, like to try a bottle of red wine, and we will aim to compare that bottle of red uh, to a player. Uh, a footballer, past or present. Now, Mark, last week we forgot to talk about our wine from the start, so I've got something yep. I really want to say, but I'm going to hold off just in case we forget to talk about the wine again. So I, think it's, <laughs> I just think Good. it's important to you know be structured. Good decision. Yeah, okay. Let, let's get stuck into it. What red have you gone for this week? I've gone for a McGuigan Estate. Red wine. It's a Merlot, southeastern Australia, 2020. Outstandingly intense and rich wines from the premium vineyards of southeastern Australia. That's what Ooh. it says on the label anyway. Oh, I'm happy with that. So southeast Australia, do, would that be considered, do you think, anywhere sort of between Victoria... And South Australia, I think that that's sort of the territory. Well, there, there's eastern, a... yes, that'd be Victoria, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's another lesson for us then: learning how there to pronounce go. the wine, and then learning where <laughs> learning our geography. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I've gone for go. a a New Zealand wine this week: a Malbec Pinot wow. Noir, um, a trustworthy, delightful red, perfectly ripe. Uh, with some very intense and exciting flavours. So we've done that. We've ticked that off. We've reminded, you know, we've been able to talk about the wine, so we've done well. Plenty we need to talk about, as always. And I think it's right that we start off with our second confirmed relegated side of the 2020-21 season. Of course, West Bromwich Albion. They joined Sheffield United and going down uh, this season, they lost uh, pretty convincingly in the end 3-1 to Arsenal goals from William Pepe, Emil Smith-Rowe with his first Premier League goal. And unfortunately for Sam Allardyce, Mark, that's his first relegation. You, you, were, you were buzzing to actually talk, that, talk through that um, report, match, mini-match report there that Arsenal had yeah. actually scored three goals for a change. And yeah, well, William's first goal for Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, which is really, it's a real goal. shame. He's a, it's a real yeah. shame that it's taken him, what, 35 games? Is that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 35 games to get on the score sheet in the Premier League for Arsenal. Listen, he's a phenomenal, he was a phenomenal player and unbelievable guy, top, top pro. It obviously just hasn't worked out. Certainly not his first season at Arsenal. Um, I hope, I hope he's able to, to show Arsenal fans what he can do because he, he is, he is a top, top class player. And he's, like I said, he's a, he's a top guy as well. It's just a shame that, it, that it's kind of worked, the way, worked out the way it has. Um, is it a surprise that West Brom and relegated? No. Uh, is it a surprise it's taken to the 35th game? Yeah, it is actually. I thought they'd be gone a while ago. Um, Salam Allardyce, 
listen, first time in his career, but seriously, you know, the, the odds are stacked massively against you when he first and foremost took the job. Um, the only thing I'd say is, and, and this is the only negative I would say about Sam Allardyce's time at West Brom, is that it took him 10 games to win his first Premier League game. So whether that's to do, I think he was like two years out of the game as management, does that have anything to do with it? I don't know. Did the players just not cotton on to what he really wanted? It took time to bring in players also in that January transfer window, which was always a, a difficult part of it. But it just goes to show you that if a team does make, a club makes a change mid-season, how important, particularly when the clubs are down at that bottom, actually even the same, I suppose, when teams are looking to try and progress forward. The two ends of the spectrum, great example. Chelsea and West Brom, they make changes at key moments in the season. Chelsea were in danger of falling away and missing out on certainly Champions League position and possibly faltering with other, other, the other tournaments throughout the course of the season, the remainder of the season. They make the change. Thomas Tuchel comes in. He's lost one Premier League game. You know, I mean, if you, if you had a table, if, if the table had started from when Thomas Tuchel arrived at the club, he would be second on the table behind Pep Guardiola and Manchester City by four points. So far better position than they are currently uh, in terms of points distance from Man City. And it probably would be a real go for it, you know, a real fight on for the season. That's obviously not the case. But my point is how well he's adapted, how quickly he's found his stride. This is a guy that's never been working, never worked in the Premier League before. And one would argue and say, well, listen, he had an infinitely better squad, better players and everything else. Of course. But the previous manager did as well. It didn't work out for him. Sam Adalas, on the other hand, came in and took him 10 games to win his first game. And that's ultimately, in his time there, what cost him. It's not the reason, ultimately, why West Brom are going down because the damage was done before that. Um, Certainly, it was a big contributor to to their position. Um, And he was well aware that the the, the chances were very much against him um, to stay in the league but obviously believe that with the right willing and dealing January transfer window, things may work out. And they almost did. You know, there was a bit of a revival there, but I just think, like I said, it was all a little bit too late. So it's been a, a really frustrating season, I'm sure, for uh, what really is one of the great yo-yo clubs of the uh, Premier League in West Brom. Sacking Slavin Bilic, and I think, you know, looking at certainly the, the comments from a lot of the fans, they are frustrated because he's a well-liked character as yep. well, which, which whether or not maybe that hadn't, a, you know, for those early to the 10 games that might have had a, an effect but looking back on the season um, did we see an improvement from the players under Allardyce do you think at the very least individually um, or was there I think they had more of an identity I think they had more of an identity and there were there was just seemed to be that little bit more fight um, and a little bit more difficult to, to beat whereas under, under Slavon Village they just to me they were just a little bit too easy they were a little bit pushovers um, they rolled over a few times, um, lacked a little bit of fight. They had quality. I mean, you know, let's not forget, Allardyce got the sack. Sorry, Bilic got the sack the very next day or two days after they had a, a great result away at Manchester City. Yeah. At the time, Manchester City were, were doing really well as well. So, uh, you know, that was the surprise. But the, the problem is, obviously, that the damage had been done prior to that. He hadn't, um, the way they were playing, I think the lack of a little bit of fight, there was serious questions marks raised and I think very clear to certainly the, the hierarchy at West Brom, they believed that he wasn't the man that was going to keep them up. Obviously, it's always a risk when you make those changes, but I'll go back to it. It's, it's often you see a bounce back when a bounce, when, when, a, when a new manager comes in, it's just West Brom didn't have it until 10 games in. 
and that that's that's a killer for them. They seem to make the decision at the right time, though, because remember when we talked about Sheffield United and it just felt really weird when they got rid of Chris Wilder because it felt like, well, season's done. Well, Do you know, that, that yeah, was but, awesome. I, but I think the Chris Wilder thing was certainly – it wasn't about – it wasn't about where, where Sheffield United were now or mm. were in the table. It wasn't about they were going to get relegated pretty much, certainly. You know, it was, a, it was, it was more of a, a disagreement on how to take the club further forward. Mm-hmm. Once they're in the championship, and I think part of part of the problem was Chris Wilder when he when he for Chris Wilder was when he made decisions on 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 transfer dealings, for example, in the summer, those those key decisions didn't go his way. The plays, he, meaning the plays he brought in, didn't didn't work for him. And for for Sheffield United, it was a lot a lot of money invested in a couple of players. You know, uh, Ryan Brister was one of them, and. Listen, we don't know the ins and outs, whether or not it was Chris Wilder who solely had a decision to make on that, or whether it was other people involved, or someone else made the decision and Chris Wilder had nothing to do with it. That could also have been the case. But there was clearly a disagreement in that regard on how, how they go forward, moving forward. Who, who has a say in, in recruitment, direction of the club? And my understanding, and of what was been reported a lot, was that Chris Wilder wanted more control and he wasn't going to get it. So in the end, he walked. Or they came to an agreement that, that uh, they were going to part ways. So then we're looking at uh, managers and leaving. Sam Allardyce uh, signed an 18-month contract. And there's a clause to suggest that both either the club or himself can pull the trigger at any point now. Will he stay, yeah. do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one because it makes you wonder in the first place. I, I suppose that, that clause is to do with, yeah, if you kept him up, he would have been given the, the, the job permanently for another season. Obviously, he had the job permanently for another season. And that would have been, on top of his bonuses, the, the added reward, of course. Sure. And then it gives both, both parties, like you said, an opportunity now to walk away. And the question is, I suppose, Sam Allardyce needs to ask himself, is it 66 years old? Does he want to be in the championship and play 46 games? You know, has he got yeah. the energy and enthusiasm to do that? I would say yes, unless there's another opportunity to go back and you know to stay in the Premier League. That's mm. the only reason for me that what, you know why he wouldn't do it, because the uh, the reason I say he has enthusiasm, he must have because why did he come back in the first place? You know, two years out, sixty six years old. What just because you're playing eight games fewer in the Premier League does that mean you know that means that it's that any easier? Absolutely not. It's mm. it's still probably equally as difficult. You know, the job of staying in the Premier League, being part of the Premier League in a 38-game season is probably equally as, as, as difficult as it is to be in the championship and, and get promotion. Okay, Mark, it's time uh, that I want you to get your crystal ball out. And no, I'm not, didn't, you know, you didn't mishear me. Don't be rude. Uh, I now want to figure out the top four with you. Okay. Because it's pointy end of the season. We've roughly got about three games to go. Some, some teams have got four. Uh, yep. Currently, our top four, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Leicester. Okay, now I'm going to extend this down to... You don't need to. I'll extend this down to... You don't need to. No, to Everton. I you think. don't need to. No, uh, you don't need to. Hang on. Just hear me out. Everton, because they've got four games. So they've got a game in hand um, no for, for Tottenham. But essentially, knocking on the door, we have West Ham, 58 no points. Liverpool 57 and Tottenham 56. No so chance. you've poo-pooed that entire uh, intro. So yep. this is going to be a quick segment, is it? You reckon top four no. is what it is? No, 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 not at all. 
it's not done. I actually think that Liverpool are going to finish in the top four. That all that, but that yeah. that's crucial. Okay, that's critical. The critical moment for Liverpool is Thursday. Yep. Against Manchester United, they win that Liverpool. They finish top four. They draw or lose it, then I think if they draw it, hmm. <laughs> if they draw it, I still think they'll make top four. If they lose it, I don't think they will. Because, oh, you know what? Even if they lose it, they may still do it. Because Leicester have United, Chelsea. They actually played Chelsea twice in a matter of three days yep. apart from each other. FA Cup final, Premier League game. Um. And then they've got Spurs' last game of the season, Leicester. It's a tough run in, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very, very tough run in. And that was always the fear for Leicester, is if they don't have enough points. So they're on currently 63 points with, with three games to go. Liverpool have four games to go and on 57. So, you know, you, what, are, what are you talking about? Six points difference. If Liverpool lose to Manchester United, it's six points difference. Okay, so I'm... I'm I'm going to say Leicester will actually do it. If Liverpool lose, Leicester will do it. Okay. If I actually think Liverpool have to win. I think even if Liverpool draw, it won't be enough. So then what about from a West Ham perspective? They're currently above Liverpool, but as you said, they've got one game fewer, 58 points. They seem to be running out of a bit of steam. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I was at the game uh, against Everton on the weekend and they just looked, they looked a little bit flat. Um, they looked uh, like a team that were were feeling the feeling the pressure a little bit to finish in, the, in that Champions League position. You know, they had an opportunity to to close the gap. I just think they felt the pressure a little bit. If you look at their remaining fixtures, at West Ham, how they've been performing all season should pick up nine points. Mm-hmm. You know, Brighton away. I mean, I know you can't just say that, and I know you can't write off Brighton. Brighton at home of Turn the corner. They were they were great, you know, against Leeds last weekend. Um, I know they lost midweek, but they're sending off. That changed the game. They got West Brom. Are West Brom going to be even more difficult to play against now that, that the pressure's off? Yeah. And often you see it. Often you see with teams, you know, they start to really come on their own when the pressure's off. And then they got Sampton last game of the season. Oh, it's so difficult to pick. But I, I like I said, I the the. Ask me after Thursday yeah. when Man United play Liverpool. From Liverpool down, we can forget about it. Tottenham, no chance. Well, Liverpool, Liverpool. so sixth, uh, fifth and sixth, my understanding, will be Europa League and seventh will be Conference League. Mm-hmm. European Conference League. Which sounds so, a bit funny to say, Conference League, because obviously in this country, Conference League is quite low down. Yeah, it's very true. Um, the fear as well, before we move on from West Ham, um, from a lot of... Uh, Fans I've seen desperate. They don't want Europa League. You know, it's either bomb out or because Europa. Well, I don't League, get that mentality. I, I I don't get it. But they're just not Europa- a. You know, the fear is they're not a big enough club to be able to. Yeah, but I've done it before with two teams. You know, we've we've okay. Certainly, your league position is affected hundred percent most times. Most times, your league affection uh, a position is affected with the lesser teams. Middlesbrough, Fulham we've got to two European Cup finals one with each, and our league form those two seasons was certainly affected. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get relegated. We actually made it quite comfortable in the end, and we got to a final. And, it was, and if you ask those, you know, you ask those sets of fans, 
the vast majority of them who were around at that time, who, who remember those times experienced will say that it's some of the best moments in their whole time, in their whole life supporting that club. So I don't understand the mentality. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think West Ham should be grabbing hold of any opportunity to play in Europe. doesn't matter. Everton fans, same. Even Spurs and, 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 and Arsenal. Jeez, I mean, it, Arsenal, gosh, you know, that they, they'd be, they should be able to play any, any league at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> any league. Well, I mean, any European league. I yeah, mean. So if they play conference league or whatever. They yep. should just be happy to be able to get a chance to play back in Europe again because of yep. the way they've been. I totally agree with you. Mark, uh, last week we did a round of applause uh, for Chelsea women, and I think it's probably time to do it again. Well yeah, done. absolutely. Congratulations. And not because, of course, they have won the WSL, but, of course, the most important thing to us here is that Sam Kerr finishes top goal scorer. Uh, she's now done that in three nations for Perth, uh, in the States as well, and then now uh, in Europe, which is fantastic for her. You saw Perth's it. domination, by the way, just want to let you know. Perth well, is not a Perth nation. Perth glory, yes. Yeah, because you said in three yes. nations. Right. Um, and Perth is not a nation. I know they like to think they're a nation, they're but they're pretty they're not. far away. Oh, they are far away, aren't M- they? Most secluded, uh, oh, sorry, most isolated city in the world, Perth. Is it really? Yeah. Right. Okay. That there, goes there with go. that. And uh, what's the capital of Iceland? Reykjavik is my two favourite, uh, you know, trivia. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Is that all you got? No, just my favourites. It's just my <laughs> quick draw, you know, Mexican standoff, you know, trivia. Um, no, but she's done a fantastic job uh, seeing her, her chat. Uh, post game across Optus Sport was was brilliant as well. She speaks so so well and and just so stoked for her because we've talked about it before. But one brilliant thing that uh, you know you've talked about is you know it took a little while to for her to you know feel settled almost, and it can't have been easy just no. from a life perspective when yeah. when she arrived. You know, so many of the Aussies, you know, uh, quite a few of them at Arsenal as well arrived at that similar point, and you're thinking. Geez, that's not an easy time to move to to England, you know, and, and no. hit the hit the ground running. So it's just been really unfortunate for him in a lot of ways that, that the current climate has happened at that time, you know, at the time that those all the girls have arrived. So it's certainly made things more difficult. So arguably, what she's accomplished so far is even more impressive yeah. that she has settled so well, and actually, all the girls have settled really, really well um, here in in, in They're superstars, in England. Mark. They're superstars. Yeah, they've been brilliant. Absolutely. What I liked about Sam Kerr's interview was how just how raw it was and how natural yeah. it was. It was there was no staging of it. There was no almost like switching off and giving you the standard monosyllabic responses to, so, to interview questions. She was just more natural and 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 uh, very relaxed with it all. And if anything, there was almost a sense of a little bit of un- being uncomfortable talking to the camera. Totally. Um, and I think that's kind of made him even more endearing. And yeah, listen, she's been phenomenal. She she thoroughly deserves the, the success that's going her way. She's also the way she spoke about her teammate, Fran Kirby, was was exceptional yeah. as well as the rest of her teammates because she was very quick to then point out, listen, it's it's a whole team effort, and the way that the team has played um, has allowed her and Fran Kirby to to be as successful as they have. I mean, a lot of things fall into place, and it just they 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 seem to to thrive off one another. And I think what was good as well was that last, the first time that um, Chelsea played Reading early on the season, they won 5-0 as well away from home, but Sam didn't score. I think she had a couple of assists in that game. 
Whereas uh, on the weekend, she got on the score sheet. Um, so heavily involved, got on the score sheet, made sure that she finished top goal scorer, which is great. And now, listen, they've got one week to prepare for, or less than a week now, to prepare for the biggest occasion, um, arguably now for them, you know, to, to try and win that uh, Women's you know, Champions League trophy, which will be phenomenal if they do that. So I just want to talk a, a little bit about uh, Sam, Kerr, Sam Kerr and the Matildas. But before we do that, just to, to wrap up the chat about the WSL in particular, uh, of course, now uh, the head coach or the head manager of, of Arsenal, Joe Montemuro, the Aussie, he comes back home. Yep. Um, how do you see his kind of future looking, do you think? Because he's done a phenomenal job at the Gunners. Like he is, there's not a bad word spoken about some of the, you know, you know when I've heard people talking about him. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it was surprising. I was listening to Heather Garriott on the weekend talk about uh, Joe and about him leaving Arsenal and that, that she was surprised. Um, she was surprised that he was leaving and also kind of a little bit disappointed that he wasn't staying over here because he'd been doing so well and it was great to see an Aussie coach doing so well. Um, had kind of done everything he needed to do in Australia, to, yeah. certainly domestically. And she hoped that he'd be picked up by the F- FFA or the FA. Yeah. Uh, to be, you know, in some way or another, be involved with the national team. Um, so, and, and if not, she talked about him being involved in the development of the national team players uh, or future Matildas, and that that's key as well. And apparently, you know, that's that's one of his uh, his strengths. And certainly, you would think that you would hope you would hope. I don't even think. I don't think we can we can we can assume anything. I, I would just hope that the FFA were on the phone the minute it was had broken that that uh, that Joe was leaving Arsenal coming back to Australia. Um, Perfect fit, hoped. really. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I know obviously they've appointed the, the new head manager, head coach for the Matildas. But listen, this guy needs to be involved somewhere along the line, and you never know what happens with the Matildas. You know, in terms of the current manager, how long is he in his place for? What happens if things don't go quite well? So, so to plan, and, and maybe they need to make a decision. If you've got someone in the background like Joe, waiting, prepared knows the stuff inside out. The girls know him. He's been highly successful in Europe. What a better... I mean, I know I'm jumping miles ahead and I'm not even giving the current manager a chance right now. But yeah. his first two games in charge weren't great. Uh, but listen, it's a pandemic and very difficult circumstances. But let's hope uh, the Matildas get it all sorted out very, very quickly and, and have a wonderful World Cup. Well, that's exactly right. And this is what I want to want to talk about because, of course... Uh, both Australia and New Zealand will host uh, the next Women's World Cup, which obviously gives the Matildas uh, a huge psychological boost. And it's only natural as we, you know, support the Matildas to talk about Sam Kerr in the past. But I think it's now time to admit, yep, okay, cool. She's probably our best player. Fantastic. But looking across the board, Lydia Williams in goal. I mean, Ellie Carpenter in particular, you know, is elite. Alana Kennedy, Chloe Lazago. You know, we've got we've got a really good team. Caitlin Ford, obviously Sammy Kerr herself, Hayley Hayley Rasso, and you're thinking, other than the fact that we know how good the states are playing at home, we'd have to be close to favourites. You'd think. You know, we'll see what the development's like over the next couple of years until then. But no, I, I don't think there's any reason to say that the states are not the favourites at this stage. I mean, their record speaks for itself, mm-hmm. and I know we certainly would be considered as one of the teams that potentially could win it. Absolutely. But in terms of out-and-out favourites at this moment in time, I would still think that the States would be that. I mean, that's how high that bar is. Yeah. Um, 
and you take into consideration the Matildas' last two games, um, you know, obviously weren't great. They weren't able to pick any any Australian-based players uh, because of the pandemic. Um, very limited time to prepare. That's really, really tough. So Tony Gustafsson has a massive job on his hand to, to try and get things right, uh, find the balance, get the girls together, work with them and develop into a system that he wants them to play, how he would like them to play and get them in the best possible shape for the World Cup. And obviously he still has time to do that. He obviously has huge inside information and knowledge of the way that, you know, the US team plays, their strengths, their weaknesses, their ethos, work rate, all those sort of things, which are all, you know, are all important to have those sort of inside information. But it's also between the time he left to the next World Cup, there is a bit of time. So things can change a little bit. Um, but yes, listen, you kind of almost hope that all the girls are doing what they're doing now and more mm. come the end of next season. Mm-hmm. Everyone's fit. Everyone's flying. The girls have got together and had a couple of really good games under their belt with the national team, the Matildas. Gustavsons, you're really starting to see a plan, uh, an ethos, uh, direction, mm-hmm. and, and it's really there. And they're fine-tuning leading up to that World Cup. And that's, for me, key. Won't be long. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search Geg and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D. The Geg and Pod. Okay. Back to Two Sharp Reds. Half-time drinks here in the Two Sharp Reds, Mark. I've got to say, I'm looking outside. It's about 26 degrees today. And this Pinot, you know, if I, if I had to be critical, is a, is a delight. But I think I could swap it out for a rosé. I really, really could. Well, if you're talking about the temperature, yeah. I've said to you before, you know, add a little bit of uh, Fanta Limon to it. Yep. Yeah, and, and you've done it before. And, well, and it's, it's, you rate it too, don't you? It just feels unnatural, but I like it. So yeah, but you know, go far between it. for me, I think with that. Just go with it, mate. It's it's um it's a way. Listen, I've gone for my McGuin uh, estate, yep. Merlot, southeastern Australia. What can I say? To Merlot, nice, <laughs> easy drinking, smooth, yeah, drinkable with anything, Ooh. really. Um, very very easy, not too complex. Um, I I I don't think you can actually. I don't think I've ever had a bad Merlot. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, this is the second week in a row you've got Merlot as well. Yeah, yeah. I just lose track, mate. They all roll into one. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm more than happy with my Merlot. It's a good, steady drink. Could you match it with a butternut squash from your garden? Uh, possibly could, you know. Um, funny you would mention my butternut squash, actually. Um, I've planted some seeds um, for butternut squash as well. So, what's the ETA my... on that? How long is it? Will that well, last? it'll probably be a, about two, about three weeks, four weeks. Oh, that's all right. Um, some of my seeds have already come through. So, I planted a whole lot of them last week. And yep. Some of them already started to come through already. Some cabbages started to poke through in my newly renovated uh, greenhouse. How is that? Um, so, yeah, no, very excited. So, yeah, no, listen, absolutely. Nice. You know, you, gotta, you, you can go a hearty meal, you can go a nice hot pot. A yep. bit of butternut squash in it, which is always delicious. And that yep. reminds me because I've got the lamb out for some stewing lamb. I've got some uh, bits and pieces with it. And I'm going to go down to my, uh, my cellar yep. and grab, a, grab one of the butternut squash and, and chop it up and put it in there as well. You know how to live, Mark, don't you? I you do. You know how to I live. Do. Now, it feels like such a shame to, to talk about something so innocent and pure and beautiful 
And then, you know, the juxtaposition here is not lost on me at all. Um, I, now, I'm not sure if you've seen this because it came out, ooh, I want to say maybe 35, 40 minutes before we started recording the podcast. Okay. Now I'm under pressure. Yeah, now you're really under pressure. But there's a video that's, been, that's emerged um, and we are thinking uh, at this stage that it's Sheffield United's Ollie McBurney. And two or three fans are filming him and chatting to him and he starts beating him up. No way. Properly attacking. They've said already that uh, official, officials at Sheffield United are aware of the video circulating on social media and are currently investigating. I was having a really good think about it, though, and if they find him guilty, that's, I think that's time. Like proper... Well, it gives them a reason, doesn't it? Yeah. It gives them a, a, a valid excuse to, um, to, uh, to release a player. Um, oh, I meant like jail time, though. Like, you well, yeah, gosh, yeah. That. Gosh, yeah, the police... Yeah. Certainly will uh, be involved with that, you would think. It's yeah. disappointing, though. Yeah, fr- very frustrating to see. Well, I mean, he has been in trouble before, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he's an yeah. interesting character. He's, he's, he's well-loved, but even down to things like when he was watching his former team play and he's, he's in the crowd and wearing, you know, their colours while you're still, you know, <laughs> you're playing for yeah. the other side. And it's just, just things that you go, come on, buddy. Yeah, you just need a switch on a bit i think yeah it's not uh it's not clever is it really isn't and yeah you're right as well you're starting to see a pattern with some of these you know guys and you think oh, well let's just hope wrong. it's a mistaken identity and let's hope it's not actually him and let's hope it's someone else yep well fingers crossed uh on that front that was too negative for mine so let's move on um just <laughs> talk about something sad but beautiful a bit of an on this day mark on this day five years ago we mm. said goodbye to upton park which was one yeah. of the, you know, certainly for Aussies, you know, obviously coming to, to London, a lot of West Ham fans, a lot of QPR, a lot of Fulham fans, but to go to Upton Park, uh, yeah, it, was a, it seemed like a pretty special venue. Uh, I, see, I think the English FA had a major say in pulling down uh, the bowling ground. And that's to do with the fact that we beat England there 3-1. They were yeah. so disgusted with the result. They went, all right, let's get rid of all the evidence that's possibly out there. And let's pull down the stadium. Let's give them London Stadium. Let's Make, appease them sense. that way. Um, yeah, listen, it was a great ground to go play at. I mean, the atmosphere was intense, um, full on. Pitch was always really, really nice. The fans were pretty hostile, yep. um, pretty abusive, uh, aggressive. Um, yeah, pretty much football fans, really. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was uh, always a difficult place to go and play. Absolutely. Um, I, I have to say though, like I, I know, I know why fans wouldn't like you know don't like the more modern stadiums so much and certainly the non-purpose built football stadiums Mm -hmm. and i get why there is there are fans who are disgruntled about moving to the london stadium in terms of that closeness to a football pitch Mm -hmm. i have to say still i was there again yesterday and every time i go there i still look at it and go it's a very cool stadium and i know it's a little bit far away i know you're you are that slightly further away but the facilities are so much nicer, so much better. Um, the way they've decorated the stadium now, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, it really it feels like it is a West Ham ground. It doesn't feel like anyone else has any ownership on it whatsoever. Um, it's just, it's them. 
Um, it's still pretty accessible, though, in terms of distance. You go oh, straight gosh, to Stratford, yeah. mate, you're laughing. Like, it's, no, it's got, oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from, from crowd dispersing and all that sort of stuff from the ground, it's pretty quickly. I know, I know they have had issues, security issues, and fighting and bits and pieces with away fans. I mean, you're going to get that in most places, and they're just, they're yeah. idiots out there. Doesn't matter where you go, they're idiots in, in every walk of life, and they're idiots out there who just want to cause trouble. It doesn't matter. But I, I have to say, I, I, I'm a fan of it. I really like, I mean, I did love the bowling ground but I, I do really like London Stadium. So let me ask you this then. That brings me on to a topic. Uh, I think it's, pro- it's probably safe to say that Tottenham's stadium is the most impressive in terms of what it can offer. Oh, that hurt you, didn't it? Well, it's true. Let's just... Let's it is. No, it's, it's it pretty is. incredible, right? In my opinion, it is the best stadium in this country. It, yeah. I, I think it's, it's better than Wembley. It's better than all the stadiums. I don't think anything comes close to it. So what, what? So some of the things that you know, if you've not been able to attend, certainly you know most Aussies, you know certainly you know um, you know haven't been able to travel, you know to England yeah. since since they sort of kicked into gear. It's got a, a, a you know a lowering facility of the ground to turn it into an NFL stadium. You've got that yeah. new technique where you fill the beers up from the bottom up. That's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. it's it's obviously you know bigger and better. It's got a giant uh, cock. Uh, (laughs) uh, that looks over the stadium. What are some of the other... Because you've been there a few times. Um, So the one end end of the stands behind the goal, um, that entire stand has one big bar, the full length of the back of the stand. And I think it's 25,000 people or 30,000 people in that stand or something like that. It, It is amazing. If you've not been... The minute you get an opportunity to go, you've got to go. It is an incredible stadium. It is, like I said, everything about it is amazing. Uh, I mean, the way it sits up when you walk up to it, um, it just looks, oozes quality and class. The facilities are brilliant. The, I mean, I've, I've walked around there when there's, no one be, when there's no one there. I've walked through it a little bit through people um, on, a, on a previous normal match day. Um, and it just looks like one of those places. It's so cool that you go, oh, I'd love to go and have a beer there, actually. Yeah. Go stand at the bar. And <laughs> and it just looks like a proper social place. You know, like you would want to go and hang out with your mates, even if there's not a football game where you kind of go, sure. how cool would this be if we just could come up here and hang out and talk football and watch some old games and drink yeah. and be a proper Spurs pub? You know, and even any football fans who just want to go and watch. I mean, obviously, it's a different yeah. over here, but certainly people from internationally come out and go, you know, I want to go to Spurs bar and have a beer, watch the old classic Spurs games or whatever it is, mm-hmm. be pretty cool. Or the, the previous weekend's game as well. There's multiple TV screens. It's just, uh, I can't speak highly enough about it. So I'm going to uh, ask you this then. Let's take off, uh, take out of the equation, um, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man U, Liverpool uh, and Man City. So the, the big stadiums essentially. What's the number one, if you're traveling from Australia and you're just a general football fan, where's the one you'd recommend? Whether it be from the look, the atmosphere. Okay, there's two stadiums. Everything. For yeah. me, there's two stadiums, um, particularly if you're coming. Okay, so it really depends. If you can go anywhere in the country, yeah. um, then it's possibly slightly different. Um, that if, if you go anywhere in the country, I would say there's three stadiums you should go to. All right, hit me. So Anfield? Yeah. Uh, particularly as you're Australian, most, you know, that's why Liverpool fans are huge in Australia because yeah. the 80s, the success, that generation of people now and the indoctrination of kids and all sorts of stuff, right? 
Craig Johnson being an absolute superstar there. The tradition of Anfield, um, the cop, all that. You know, do a stadium tour, go to a game. Brilliant. And then the other two is both, both, are both in London. And one would say one is maybe biased, but it has to be Fulham. Mm-hmm. It is so unique. I mean, the Johnny Haynes Stadium that run, or stand that runs along the, the roadside um, is unique. It's, I mean, heritage listed. It's beautiful, it's stunning, stunning yeah. Yeah. quality. It's small, but it's compact, and you're there on the pitch. And then you've got the cottage in the corner, which, yep. again, is so unique. Mm. You just don't see anything like it ever, ever anywhere in the world. And funny enough, the cottage used to be positioned in the center circle. So it used to be um, like a hunting grounds, like a little park hunting ground area. And the cottage itself was positioned originally in the middle of where the center circle is today. And then once they turned it into a football pitch, they moved it. I think it burnt down actually. I think it burnt down and then they rebuilt it. The original, original burnt down and they moved and then they built it then where it is currently. Hey, it's time we, uh, uh, have you got your passport close by? Uh, not on me. But, okay, you know. we'll get it um, because it's time to, to go to Europe. It's time okay. to head to the continent. Uh, there's a few Let's things we need to tick off here. Uh, first one is friend of the show, of course, appeared on, ooh, I want to say almost probably, you know what, a year to the date, around about is this really? time during lockdown, he came on the show. as of course, a young socceroo in Aiden Hustik, uh, who yep. was, I believe, clubless at the time or had just left his club in the second division in Holland, I think. I think he might have been clubless. No, I thought he was still there. I thought he was still there at that time right. when we spoke okay. to him. He has since moved to Eintracht Frankfurt. Yep. And he scored his first Bundesliga goal. Huge news Absolutely for the young Massive. Yeah, he's, 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 he's uh, had to wait some time to, to get game time. Um, and uh, that's huge. Absolutely huge. And he's obviously taking his chance, you know, scoring his first Bundesliga game, uh, goal, sorry, uh, is a huge occasion. Eintracht Frankfurt fighting to, to try and finish in those European places as well. Um, so, yeah, listen, it's brilliant. The Bundesliga is a great league fifth, to play, in, especially spot, for young players. Which is pretty good. What's, what's Frankfurt that? are in fifth. So, yes. You know. It's all very, very tight. And it's all a lot to play for. There's two rounds left um, of the Bundesliga. Obviously, we know that... Uh, Bayern have, have kind of not, not romped away, but have 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 won it. Um, the good thing about Eintracht Frankfurt is they can't finish below fifth. Okay. Or could they? Yeah, technically they could. They could finish sixth if they lose their last two remaining games and Bayer Leverkusen win their last two remaining games, because Bayer Leverkusen have a, actually a slightly better goal difference. Um, so yeah, okay. It's still a lot to play with. However, Leverkusen, last game of the season, are away at Dortmund, which is always, you know, it's a bit of a derby as well. Leverkusen, uh, Dortmund is in that part of the, uh, the country. Uh, whereas, whereas Eintracht Frankfurt, if you look at the last couple of seasons, they've, they've, they've been in and out of European uh, competitions. They did really, really well a um, couple of seasons back in the Europa League, got to the semi-final and he just missed, got knocked out by Chelsea. They, I mean, listen, they have a very doable remaining fish. They've got Schalke away. Schalke are already relegated, having a disaster. And they've got Freiburg at home. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Freiburg at home is certainly no easy easy game. Uh, but Freiburg will have nothing to play for. Um, and it's all up to, to Eintracht Frankfurt to secure. Try and even, they're a chance even still for Champions League. So, Mark, let's go down from Germany and, and head towards Italy. Because Before I'm, you go, yeah. we've got to talk about Robert Lewandowski. Oh, come on then. 
mate, scored a hat trick. They won six 0 on the weekend. They've won the title. They cruise. They and they beat Borussia Mönchengladbach. Mm. So it's not like they've beaten a lesser team. They've beaten one of the better teams in the league. And they absolutely trounced him. I mean, Lewandowski should have scored a hat trick inside 30 minutes. <laughs> I mean, he took him to the 66th minute to score a hat trick. Yeah. But literally, he should have. Going on the ability of Lewandowski and how many times, like look, his ability to finish, the chances that he actually had a missed were like, wow, couldn't believe he missed them. Yeah. Um, so he should have at least scored five. Phenomenal. He is now on 39 goals. Just in, in a the, Bundesliga in, season. Yeah. So he's one behind Gert Müller, the all-time record. Gert Müller set the record of 40 goals. And that stood for a long, 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 long time. He's on 39 goals. So he needs two more goals to break it. So Robert Lewandowski... Two goals, two 30, games. 39 goals in... Thir- in uh, sorry, what is it? Uh, in 32 games mm. in the Bundesliga. Two more goals, he, break, he breaks the record from, from uh, Gert Müller of Unreal. beating 40 goals in one season, which is, man, that, that is phenomenal. I mean, if he breaks it, yeah. uh, listen, if Legend. anyone's going to break it, this is the guy that's going to break it. And it's hard to argue against him, even though I'd love Gert Müller's record to stay because it is Gert Müller. Mm-hmm. Robert Lewandowski has been insane. Okay, Mark, let's uh, now head down to Italy. Plenty going on that we need to, we can talk about. I will just say, uh, it's you know, it's been a little while um, since the the news is out there, so I think we don't really need to go too far into it. But at least acknowledge the fact that Jose Mourinho has done one of the smartest things I've ever seen and posted his CV across a week of Instagram, and he's got a job at AS Roma. But of course, the announcement happened again, like about ten hours after we recorded the podcast. He must hate you. Yeah. Mate. All of these big, I don't know what it is. It feels like a vendetta against the it, Sharps. It, no, he did send me a message afterwards saying, heads up, got an announcement to make. Really? Yeah, yeah. So well, sorry. That's all right. I didn't pass it on. That's okay. It um, just slipped my mind. I didn't realise. Well, that's why you're best friend number two. Um, well, it, that was between, you know, Jose sending me a message. Uh, John Terry was asking me a question about something. Was he? Uh, Peter Crouch wanted to know um, if I fancy coming and doing some robot dancing lessons. Um, <laughs> other than that. Yeah, it was what, pretty busy. Sorry, man. What I would pay to see. <laughs> to see that. Um, but Juventus looking like they're going to play Europa League and comments from their former boss in Maurizio Sarri mm. saying, you can send me away, but this team is untrainable. Now, that is a big comment. Huge. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, yeah, listen, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Maurizio Sarri. Um, very, very, very... Blinkered in the way that he does things. And I suppose you could argue that a lot of managers are like that, I suppose. Um, he wasn't very endearing uh, in my experiences with him. Not that he was any, not that he was rude or anything like that. It's just, just, I had some little interaction with him, but just wasn't, wasn't just a, he didn't come across certainly for me as, as a genuinely likable person. You know, there's some people you just go that, per, you can just tell that person's a, a Decent person, you know? Yeah, yeah. With with Surrey, it just wasn't the way. Anyway, it's obviously struggled. Um, and, and the Chelsea fans certainly didn't didn't take to him either. They, they mm-hmm. found it incredibly difficult, actually almost impossible. Um, and I think he's burnt a few bridges since then. Um, yeah, so certainly certainly wasn't good. But yeah, Juve, gosh. 
it must be really difficult when you've got a player of the magnitude of Cristiano Ronaldo. You've got to try and fit it in, make it all work. He's very, very, uh, con- you know, very much focused on his own thing, breaking records, doing everything, and almost like going, well, this is me and I'm doing all this. What are you guys? I mean, that's the, that's the impression I kind of always read from him. And, and arguably, you can say rightly so, because he is so bloody good. And you look at his goal scoring record this season alone in, in, in the, you know, in the in Serie A mm. is again right up there. I mean, you, you can't even you can't even look at it and go he's had a bad season because actually he's been one of still in terms of return he's still been one of the most if not the most successful player at Juve this season. So it's hard to it's hard to knock it. I think I'm just trying to look. He's got he's played thirty games. He started. He started 28 games, scored 27 goals in Serie A. I mean, for Ronaldo, that's actually not a great... No, it's not, that's not up there as being his best season. But as we all know, the bar is incredibly high. And he normally can jump that high to head it as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of problems there. And I, I think it always is difficult. You know, Arsenal... Look, Arsenal still haven't recovered from mm-hmm. the time of having a great side... And the 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 fall away mm-hmm. has been constant, and there's and, and Juve are in danger because we've got an aging squad, we've got some big decisions to make in the summer on the direction they take, and they uh, it's hard to think they would do like Arsenal are doing, but they've got to be careful that the next couple of seasons they don't really drop away. Mm. You've got to bounce back as quickly as possible. So the next, next couple of weeks or months are, are vitally important for them to get those key decisions right because you don't want to be the arsenal of Italy, do you, <laughs> no, you Ollie? don't. Mark, let's talk wine and wrap things up here on the Two Shop Reds. I've gone for a New Zealand Malbra Pinot Noir. Brilliant, a nice, trustworthy, delightful red, perfectly ripe uh, with a lot of exciting flavours. I've enjoyed it, but as I said, it's a little hot, so I wouldn't mind a rosé. Um, but nevertheless, very happy. And as you said, uh, quite rightly as well, you don't think that you can get a bad Merlot. So I I trust that you enjoyed yours. Yeah, I did. I have, I've certainly enjoyed my Merlot. I think it's been, it's been wonderful. It really has. Um, like I said, pleasant. It's a smooth, easy drinking wine with intense fruit flavors of plum and red berries. It is, um, what can I say? Just a good quality Merlot that I've really enjoyed and go to if you're not quite sure what you want to drink. Merlot or a Pinot, can't go wrong. I've always said it. I've said it many, many times. I'm boring people, senseless with it, but it's, it's, a, it's a no-brainer for me. Okay, would you like to go first with a comparison? I'll let you go first, mate. Okay, this is a really straightforward one for me. I knew it straight away. Uh, trustworthy. I like the fact that it says that. It's a trustworthy, delightful red. You know what you're going to get and you're going to be happy with it. It's perfectly ripe uh, it, to the point where it suggests that you drink it from now to a year. So right. uh, that's it, you know, and, and, then, and then it's probably going to go downhill. So we're talking this is perfect uh, for at least another year. And it also suggests that you swish and move around uh, the red in your mouth to try and pick up as many flavours as possible. So, of course, that's a tasting technique anyway, but the fact that it suggests that. Um, So movement. I've got there lots of movement. And I watched this guy on the weekend 
And when he plays, for someone who's aging, uh, I got to say, I mean, I'm impressed by. It. He's just busy. He's going left, right, and behind the lines, back in play. I love it. I love watching it. But I just think that uh, the fact that you've got to drink this red, essentially for the next twelve months, and then and then it's it's done. Uh, it's reminded me of this guy, and that's Manchester United's Edison Cavani. I think uh, you know he's he's got that sort of twelve months left in him. He's got a lot of movement, but he's trustworthy. You kind of know that even if he doesn't blow the the league apart, he's he's going to do a good job for you. So I'm going to compare Albert nice. to Cavani. Nice. Well, I'm going to go with uh, a player that who I played with for one season at Middlesbrough. He's actually got one cap for England. So we signed him off the back of the season he had uh, that, that very season um, in the Premier League with his former club, scored 15 goals uh, by the February, got a call-up for the England, an England-friendly match against the Netherlands mm-hmm. in 2002, played 45 minutes in that game and failed to score. Um, and then from that game, he actually didn't go on and score another goal for Bolton the remainder of the season. So... The irony in that one. Yeah. So from the February until the end of the season, after getting the 15 goals up to that point in the league, didn't score another goal. We signed him that following um, January at Middlesbrough for three and a half million pounds. We signed him from Bolton. He played 38 games and only scored four goals. Oof. Tell you what, on the training field, this guy had brilliant technique. Really, really good eye in front of goal. Like he just went, wow. He, this kid's got something. This, this is special. I can see why he scored 15 goals in the Prem, why he got a call up for England. But there's obviously something else with him um, as to why he's fallen away, why Bolton got, got rid of him when they did. Um, so as smooth as, as this wine has been and as smooth as he was in that particular season where he scored 15 goals, uh, it didn't last. And this wine is best enjoyed within two years of purchase, consumed within two days of opening. They certainly opened him too early. And he certainly didn't last those two years um, because he faltered massively after the time he came to us. And partly because I think he liked the McDonald's drive through far too much. Sure. Respect. Got a lot of time for it. Go on. Yep. Yeah. So with that in mind, um, the unveiling of who this person is, if anyone hasn't already guessed it, is a guy called Michael Ricketts. Okay. Striker. Played at Bolton and then went on to Middlesbrough. And just, yeah, uh, unbelievable, honestly. It was, it was incredible to see his decline. Uh, he did go on to Leeds United after that, after leaving Middlesbrough. Played 25 times for them. How many goals did he score? One. Zero. Oh, no. He went on loan to Stoke City and played 11 games. How many goals did he score? Did he score none? None. Oh. <laughs> he did have a more successful period on loan at Cardiff City after that. After 17 games, he scored five goals. Okay. So right. he never reached double figures again after that. Mark, thanks for a very enjoyable episode of the Two Sharp Reds. The pleasure's all been yours. <laughs> One of your favourites. Thanks, Dad. You're welcome, son. <laughs> Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.